Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Rich Hills Podcast, everybody. This is episode number 63 I'm here with producer Guy, and we have a guest for the podcast today. Now, we've actually split this podcast into two parts because it's so bloody good. It's so good. It's so in-depth. It's two parts. It's normal Tuesday. Obviously, listen to this now, and it's a a little bonus Thursday treat. If it was a one-parter, it'd be ranked 11 out of 10. Yes. Because it's two parts, it's going to be 9.9 out of 10 each episode. And also, the fact it's two parts should mean double the downloads, higher place in the Apple charts. Hello. That's partly why we've done it, I'll be honest. Um, just before uh, anything else, Rick, a little bit a little bit of housekeeping for today. So we've just launched a new Twitter account, which yes. is at Rick Shields Pod. Um, so it's going to be a little bit of somewhere we'll share it, um, pictures and stories and bits and bats. We've obviously got the Instagram page, at the Rick Shields Golf Show. We've got the Facebook page. Um, again, the Rick Shields Golf Show. What a little uh, Twitter account, just for people that don't use other platforms can come and follow. Um, I like it. So it's at Rick, um, at Rick Shields Pod. We'll put um, a link in the description. We'll put a link in. And also, James, who's our guest today, James Robinson. Now, it's not the James Robinson you may have seen on YouTube who does club reviews. This is a different James Robinson. Um, this James Robinson can properly hit he, golf shots. He's a golfer. And... I mean, like, unbelievable. Um, and and we, we kind of dive into... His history is amazing. He did have a European tour card. He did. And he's played in the Open Championship 2018 at Carnoustie. We saw him there live, didn't we? Up we in the saw flesh. him live. And in that first round, he beat the world number one at the time, Dustin Johnson. But it's not all rosy because not long, weirdly before that, he'd actually quit playing tournament golf so we dive into that the trials the tribulations the ups the downs of professional golf it's a good story it's a very good story this part one is very much how james got into golf his life his build up how good he was as a junior the levels he got to playing with tommy fleetwood playing with danny willett great advice for aspiring juniors as well this episode if you are a junior golfer or a young you know adult or whatever and you want to be a tour pro this is one you need to listen to. This, I, I feel like this is the real life tour pro advice that you exactly. need. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an unbelievable episode. One of my favourites so far. And part two is going to be equally as good. Just a quick note: it would really appreciate it if you all go and check out James and his social media. So he's got Twitter, and he's got Instagram, and his his, his handle is at James Robo Golf, and that's um, James R O B B O Golf. Uh, we'll link that again below, but go I feel, and follow him. I feel him like and... it should be the real 
James Robinson. Robinson or James Robinson official. <laughs> um, other other quick news as well. Um, yesterday I finished my Walk 18 for 2000, uh, 2021. <laughs> Every year do. now. <laughs> oh, the only one I'm going to do. Um, I want to thank everyone, honestly, from the bottom of my heart. We've managed to raise right now as we film this podcast over £37,000, which is phenomenal. So if you didn't know the story, through the month of February, I walked four miles every day with my golf clubs on my back to raise money and awareness for Mind Charity, mental health charity that does amazing work for people who are struggling with mental health issues and their families get offer support, offers guidance, offers advice, and and to raise thirty seven pound. And who knows by the end of this 37, week, pounds. <laughs> by the end of this week, we might have even raised close to forty thousand. Honestly, couldn't have done it without you guys. Your support has been amazing, um, and it, it's just been a, a, an unbelievable experience uh, and one that I'll kind of never forget. And really appreciate the support. You've done very well, Rick. Thanks, I do pal. sometimes wind you up messing about, but you've done um, a very good job. You've inspired a lot of people. You've raised a lot of money for charity, and you've used your clout and influence for good. Well, I, if I was ever going to use my clout for anything, Guy, I thought this would be the best topic to do it. So either way, um, I just think, just enjoy this episode. Sit back. It's a long gun. And part two, we've not filmed just yet, recorded just yet, but honestly... I cannot wait to dive into some of the topics. I've got two questions for you. My first question before we get into this is, I put an Instagram poll this morning about my outfit and I said fresh or sad. You didn't answer it, I don't think. What? What is it? I couldn't decide. I want to see it in life. What, what do you think? It's fresh. Okay, good. If you want to see what guy's wearing, on the second YouTube channel we have, Rick Shields Golf Show Podcasts channel, second yeah. channel, whatever Rick it's Shields called, Golf something Show. like that. We're fast approaching 45,000 subscribers on there and we're going to release loads of clips from this podcast. And go and check it out because you're going to want to see what Guy's wearing. He's double Tiger Woods. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. I was going to say, I love podcasts, Rick. I really enjoy listening to you. I want to hear more about James Robinson, but I'm not a fan of listening, listening to podcasts. I'm more a visual learner, and I want to watch James Robinson give me advice about how I can become a tour Second pro. channel. So, second channel. Yeah, standard. Last thing, only because we didn't touch on it last week because that hadn't happened. Um, massive... Um, the right word our thoughts and prayers are with tiger after his car crash last week um obviously we are still we are absolutely um devastated by the news but delighted that he is still alive and with us and that sounds a really scary thing to say um hopefully he has a speedy recovery i don't know what it means to the future of him with golf whether he plays again whether he doesn't um but either way it means that charlie and sam have not lost their dad um he's still a you know a father a husband a son and uh, i think that's really important that we that we always think of so speedy recovery to the goat to the best that's ever lived and we hope to see him on a fairway once in the future again soon and last last thing today's and thursday's episode the treat one we're going to drop which again is james Robinson at the open are kind of quite serious but very good i think good content and then we're back to kind of normally if you like next tuesday so if you've got an email you want to send us a nightmare golf shot um or a dear rick that kind of stuff we might we might ask james robinson about a nightmare golf shot in part two nice i like that um if people want to get in touch with us rick what's the best way of doing it uh my phone number is oh seven <laughs> uh email at podcast at rickshields.com yeah um but i like using twitter how should i get in touch with you on twitter at rickshields pod yeah, what about, um, I'm a big Instagram user. Rick Shields Golf Show. The Rick Shields Golf Show. That's not bad. <laughs> two out of three. Uh, jingle, rock, paper, um, scissors. One, two, three. Yeah, um, I'm going to count you from seven. <laughs> seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. So welcome down to Rick Shields Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Rick Shields. I'm here with producer Guy, and we've got a guest today. 
a real life walking tour pro or certainly ex-tour pro who has actually played in the open championship we're excited to talk to you mr james robinson how are you sir very well thanks thanks for having me and just to clarify again this is the real james robinson the actual one that can properly play not the one that you've seen on youtube (laughs) i'm just gonna get that in nice and early um i can't wait to have this chat with you because i feel like it feels very much like the episode we did with the tour pro caddy Mm -hmm. with steve brotherhood because as much as i feel like i know your world certainly you know being a a tour pro and i know what it looks like from the outside i don't know what it is like on the inside so i really want to dive into that a lot today um kind of don't know where to to kick things off with there's a lot to today's going to be i think a good episode because like rick alluded to then people like the guest episodes we have and certainly when it's coming from perspective that we don't know and a lot of your stories i think people will learn about what it's really like because it's not always glamorous i'm sure you're going to come on to that james in a bit that that's the trials and tribulations have been on the tour and yeah. playing in the majors and stuff like that. But just to, to ease you into it, we've got a few questions, kind of either or answers. If you want to elaborate on them, feel free, but whatever comes to mind first. So we normally okay. do kind of 10. I think we've got just seven. Um, but number one, nine holes or the driving range? Driving range. Interesting. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Tiger or Jack? Tiger. Driving or putting? Driving. First app you open in the morning? Recently, Binance. What's that? Crypto. Oh, really? You don't strike me as someone dead into social media. Like, you don't strike me as someone who goes straight onto Instagram. Uh, No, no. I do do use Instagram, probably the most out of all the uh, social medias, but... um, but you're into cryptocurrency at the moment. I don't get that Into crypto. (laughs) I don't get it yet. A bit of boredom during lockdown. (laughs) Have you made money from it yet? Yeah. Really? But it's long-term, isn't it? You have to think macro with this. Yeah, not enough to retire, but... It very much goes up and down on a a weekly basis. Hourly. Hourly. But then when it goes up, but if you actually track it for months, the trend has been phenomenal recently. Yes, it has. But I remember talking about... Sorry, I know we... I remember talking about cryptocurrency and certainly Bitcoin years ago and it really died off like yeah. it completely died. and then all of a sudden the last few months it seems to have just gone crazy gone again crazy yeah i just bring the mic a tiny bit closer to your sorry. mic sorry james don't worry um favorite golf brand Ooh. probably ping i mean it's because i've used lots of brands over the years mm-hmm. it's the one that i've used the most i mean i've sponsored by them for eight years and i just feel like it's a really good brand to uh to work with what what, what part of the like club lineup did you always feel was the best with the metals the irons putters they always made the best woods in my opinion certainly very accurate woods mm. maybe not the absolute longest but very accurate i think the um the new g425 stuff as well looks oh, very good very good i think they have a big once the actual pro shops in the uk can reopen which i think now is april 12th is it in the shops yeah i think we're going to see a big ping year um and then last little question i've done this one before we guests you can play augusta on your own yep okay um or okay, you can't tell anyone okay why have I had this bit on the no, no, I can't, I can't like this bit it's either of them that you both tell, can't tell anyone or just yeah, right you can't tell anyone so you can't tell anyone yep you play Augusta on your own, 
or you play 18 with Tiger. But there is three friends included still, but none of you can tell anyone. I don't know why this bit. I'm not cats. I don't know. Right, I like it. I don't like the, don't tell where's, anyone where's the, where's the 18 with Tiger? Wherever yeah, you, you want. want it to be. But not Augusta. <laughs> 18 with Tiger. Yeah. I think that's the shout, isn't it? And would you play your local track? Uh, I'd probably pl- try and play him at somewhere like S&A so I could have a good chance of beating him. Is that where you'd want to pitch this? Yeah, it'd be a good venue, only because I know it like the back of my hand. Well, an interesting fact, you've actually beaten the world number one at the time, for one round anyway, yep. at the Open. Yeah, first so, round. I first round, Carnoustie, 2018, you beat Dustin Johnson Dustin by Johnson. one shot, but he was currently the world number one at the time. I remember that. So if you did pitch against Tiger, hopefully, we've not really kind of touched on this, but obviously the news last week with his car crash and hopefully he does get a speedy recovery and more importantly, he's, he's here and he's healthy. You know, he's actually, you know, still alive. He's still with us. Fingers crossed he gets playing golf again. Who knows what the future's going to hold. So it might be a hypothetical, even more than a hypothetical than it is already. So like I say, we hope he's uh, back. And Guy is sporting fully Tiger Woods I've got my Tiger Woods hat on and my Tiger Woods t-shirt as well so I've done this basically to try and get more people to look at to view the podcast so if you listen to the podcast in the car and you're thinking does Guy look because there's a poll on um, Instagram do I look fresh or do I look sad and so far fresh is winning which ah. is good is it a bit like double denim you should never wear two Tiger Woods possibly yeah don't don't double on a T-dub but if you want to have a look at how I look and, and rate my outfit get onto the second channel the yes. Rick Shields Golf Show we're going to put some clips of today on there yes we are um but speaking of today, let's get let's get into this now because I think we've had enough of a little fluffy intro. Yeah, James, you we thought you would be a good guest for the podcast for a couple of reasons. We both know you pretty well. Obviously, I went to school with you. You were a few years older than me. Um, you, as Rick said at the start, you played on the European Tour, you played in the Open, and now you are a golf coach at Lytham Golf Academy. Yep. Um, where people may remember Rick used to film it's in from. my old bay. Yeah, it is. How is the old bay? It's good. It's looking good. Have you made any changes? A uh, couple of TVs. Nice. Yeah. You've upgraded. It's, it's been recarpeted, painted. Good. It it's looking it. good. Sounds good. miles better. <laughs> new <laughs> mat. Brand new mat. Well, we t- we took the old one, so you never actually had our mat. All oh, right. We pinched when we when me and Pete left. We actually pinched the mat and took it with us because we spent <laughs> a lot of money on it. Because we're only there for a year. Yeah. We, we were there for a year from 2016. Right. Uh, or maybe 2015. Either way. We weren't there for long, and then Ali Taylor jumped in there, and then obviously you have taken it on since when? Last year? Uh, it was the start of the, f- the original first lockdown. So good timing. Yeah, it was bang on, yeah. I had to finish up my old job a week before. <laughs> well, what's mad, I mean, I'd, like I say, sorry, I'm diving in and out. What's mad, and we will definitely go on to this, the last time I think I saw you, apart from the Open, actually, was the day before Open qualifying, Yep. When me and Guy were down at uh, Clark's Golf Centre, yeah. Why yeah. were we even there? Just hitting balls or something? It's near where I live. I think we just went hitting balls and chilling out. And we spoke to you in the cafe and you were saying, I've got open qualifying tomorrow. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about it. I've not played golf for nine months. Yep. Lo and behold, you win regional, you win final qualifying, you get in the open, the first man to do it for three years. Nobody's done it for three since 2015. Yep. You did it in 2018. Next thing you're doing, playing in the open, practice round with the impulse to Rafa Cabrera Bella. Uh, beating Dustin Johnson in the first round. <laughs> living <laughs> I mean, the dream. How good is that? Well, what, what, the reason we wanted to get you on, as I said, we thought it would be a good podcast, but also we had a question from a listener of the week um, who was 16 years old and played yep. off 11, and he said that, you know, he wants to try and make it as a professional and, and, and get on tour and, and live out his dreams and stuff, which we, we tried to give him some good, good, like what we thought was good advice anyway. But I then on the drive home after filming that and recording that podcast, I started thinking to myself, what is making it? What What is making it as a golfer? Because obviously everybody's got different perceptions of what making it is. So 
you, as I said, I, I went to school with you and I know you, you know, well enough. And I thought, well, in my eyes, you've made it because you played on the European tour and you've played in the Open. Um, so we thought, let's get you on the podcast. Let's hear that kind of that journey from you starting the game, whenever that was, yep. right until that kind of pinnacle of playing in the Open, and then now that kind of next chapter, if you like, of, of coaching. And, and I think you can offer some really kind of insight and stories into what it is really like to be a professional golfer. Yeah, um, well, I got into golf through my dad. Um, he played, not to a, a great standard, but he was 9, 10 handicap at Gathurst Golf Club. He always really like pushed me to try and get into golf, but at the time I was probably 12 years old, and I would much prefer to go out on my bike with my friends and didn't really get into it probably till I was about 14. And then by the time I was 14... I thought I actually really enjoy this and I started to choose golf over going out with my friends on a bike and that's when I started to get better certainly through the summer holidays because that's when it seems like every junior improves a lot because the golf is just ridiculous. Were you one of those juniors that would get dropped off in the morning by your dad get Two yeah. couple of quid, get some chips, and you'll we'll pick you up at five o'clock. We used to almost have like world records. See how many holes in a day we could do before dark. Wow! Can you remember your record? No, but I remember like some days it was like four rounds of golf in a day, and then wow. committee soon got upset with that and made it <laughs> limited to eighteen holes. But um, that was when I, I really started to get good around fourteen, and then give some for, certainly for the young listeners. Um, young golfers listening what does that look like what is good like can you remember like your first handicap can you remember what you were off when you were like 15 first handicap was 24 off memory um by the time I was probably and that was when I was like 12 but like I said I didn't really have much interest in Mm -hmm. it then um by the time I was 14 I actually remember getting lower than my dad on I think it was my 14th birthday I got to seven or eight handicap and I actually went lower than my dad at the time in handicap. That must have been pretty special. Yeah. So you dropped from 24 down to like single figures. To, to like seven, or I think it may have been eight. In by how, the time I was 14. In so how two long? Two years. Two years. Yeah. Wow. And then by the time I was 16, I it was either one or scratch. So I think it was around 16 when I got to scratch. Wow. Yeah. And what would you put that down to? Is that just, honestly, looking back, is that natural ability? Was that coaching? Was that work ethic? What helped? My dad certainly helped like around 12, 13, 14. But when I was 14, I started seeing a guy called Adrian Fryer, who you'll probably know. We know Adrian. Yeah. Of course we do. It's Matt's dad. Yeah, exactly. It's Matt. Matt was only known as Adrian's son. <laughs> Adrian's Matt son. Didn't, Matt didn't have a name. I didn't even know Matt's name for many <laughs> years. I just knew him as Adrian's son. Adrian's son. Well, Adrian, uh, Matt's dad, Adrian. Um he started teaching me when I was 14 and that's when I really started to progress and started to really improve. And what got you seeing him? Was that reputation? Was that because you were, you were nearby? You used to always go to drive time, double tier driving range. Mm-hmm. There was like the one of, it was like one of one, wasn't it? At the was time. this Warrington? Warrington, yeah. Banky train yeah, station. I know it, yeah. Is it um, gone now? It's gone now. Oh. It's houses. It's be a really cool go-kart track around there as well. It's still there, that Is one. it? Yeah. The one with the double tiers? Yeah, yeah. That's really is good, that. Yeah. You've not been we in We need to go for a mate's day after this, don't we, and go go-karting. <laughs> yeah, let's definitely do it. <laughs> I'm up for that. Um, but that was like a special driving range because it was two tiers, so everybody used to go there. Um, and then just got talking to Adrian one day, and before you know it, I was booked in for a lesson, and I saw him for, well, on and off for 
12, 13 years. Wow. That's crazy. 14 years, maybe. It was a lo- long and you, time. And were you seeing him all the time, every week, every two weeks? <laughs> Probably like once a month at the start. Um, but then certainly I started to, like, obviously as this story progresses, I started to see other coaches through England, Lancashire. So it wasn't just always Adrian, but Adrian was my main coach, basically, wow. the whole time. Do you think that helps to have a coach that kind of knows your game from young? Because it's like Rory with Michael Bannon has been his coach for forever. Do you think that does help that somebody knows you as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, golf lessons are funny because over a period of time you, you, you get rid of habits and then you gain new habits and then you're always working on different things. But um, he knew me very well, obviously, over the phone during like golf events. I could ring him and say, I'm doing this. And because he knew my swing so well, he'd generally tend to give mm-hmm. you some wise information over the phone. So at this point, you're, what, 16 16 ish. You're playing off scratch. Because I think I first knew you when I would have been about 11 and you would have been maybe 13. And I remember you being a good golfer. Yeah. But at that time, you were like, like you said, well, 14, let's say you were like, you said off seven, which is really good. But I knew, do you remember Andy Butcher? Obviously, he was probably better than you at the time, I would say. Um, In our school, he was definitely the best. He was like scratch or two or something, whatever he was. He was like a school year older than you, I think, or maybe two. He was, yeah. Um, And you were just like one of the lads that was a good, good golfer. But I would have, without being rude, I would never said at the time, this guy's going to play in the open. It's because um, I had other interests, really. I didn't okay. just dedicate myself to golf. And which... then that switch into being more golf-centric and focused is when you really elevated and stuff. Yeah, when when it was became like my one sport and just really get my head down. That was when I started to improve the most. When, when did you think in this timeline so far, when did you think golf could be where I pursue, that like could be my career? Probably about 16 Okay. 15, 16, and around that And was this because age. you obviously got down to scratch? There probably wasn't many people, certainly in the local area, who's off 16 and scratch. You probably started to get for Lancashire trials yeah, Lancashire and Juniors, England yeah. trials. And did you feel like the hype was encouraging you to get to there? Like the members at your golf club going, oh my God, James, you're off scratch. Was that was that part of the encouragement or did you have this vision already? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that encouraged me, but I liked winning and being the best. And it just made me like thrive basically did, did you win a lot when you were younger um as a junior maybe like 14 15 not so much but then started to win more when i was 15 16 17 started certainly winning a lot but it just loved winning basically that's good so you left school at 16 yep and then what was the next step for you then myasco college okay. same as rick yeah, following the footsteps yeah because <laughs> you were two years younger than me aren't you yes so you follow you you, you, were, you to, were leaving. No, you were sorry. Were you? Did you stay on? No, you? I only did two years. Two years. So and then were... I ended up getting a, a job. Yeah. I, I went there with the intention of doing five years. Right. That was my plan. Because after the five years, you get a degree in golf and you start doing your PGA. But then I thought, well, hold on. If I do five years and then do my PGA, that's going to be eight years. Yeah, it's a long time. I'm 20. It? I'll be 20. So I started, I was in college when I was 16 to 18. I feel like those years for me were the best years of my, one of my, of my yeah. life because I felt like... I had a great time being able to, at a golf college. I, I kind of got my, um, what's the right word? My university days done. Explain. <laughs> I went out a lot. Yeah, I drank snap. a lot. I went out a lot. And I certainly kind of got that rebel rebellious side out of me early, I felt. So that when I was 18, I felt like, okay, I've kind of done that now. I'm ready for a job. So you did 16 at 
my school college. Yeah, I went to my school. Two years, two years. Yeah, and lots of drinking, lots of drinking. And one when because we've got a lot of mutual friends. Obviously, Guy being one of them, Sam Meller, Andy Carter, Peter Finch, people that we kind of surrounded ourselves in the, in the golf industry. Certainly, Sam Meller, a good friend of mine, who was in my year at my school. Um, kind of, you grew up playing a bit of golf with him yeah. as well, didn't you? He's a really good friend of mine now. Yeah. So, and um, when I first started college, I was sixteen mentioned and i was probably off about six or seven and i remember going there thinking i was the boy like thinking i, I was here we go i've my picture scene burberry was big so i had a burberry hat i had a burberry t-shirt with oh. burberry uh, like a burberry collar and a burberry like um button down bit at the, at the bottom and i went there thinking i was the boy i, I was one of the best golfers in my college in my in my uh, school one of the best golfers in my golf club and I'm walking around there. I can so, break eight, so you know. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> suddenly I'll sit down in class and everyone's putting their hand. So what, what's everyone's handicap? And it's like, you know, above 10 and a few hands go up and, you know, high single figures. I'm thinking, that's probably me. I'll put my hand up. I'm thinking, not many people are putting their hand up here. Next age, five and below, like half the class put their hand Everyone. up. I was like, oh crap, I'm not that good. I'm not even close. Probably the best player in my class was like a... Uh, a, a lad called Jack Lynch who was off probably scratch maybe plus one right. he was the best were you the best in your kind of form at 16 at, at Mysco College um, well similar so- story to that really I was the boy wearing pink pants and orange pants remember JL when <laughs> yeah, they, first, of course. When they yeah. first brought those like we had a full episode on it two weeks ago <laughs> Semi-water did you have the sweatbands <laughs> no sweatbands visors I had visors belt was the big one the belt yeah. that was the you, one once you had the belt you were the boy yeah <laughs> You, um, you had to be a single figure to, you actually had to prove that you were single figures to buy a white belt over oh the counter yeah. you couldn't buy There's a white my ID, belt sir. <laughs> you had to be under 25 and you had to be off single figures definitely so you went there with the pink pants and the orange pants yeah but at the time it was kind of a throw up between me and dave corsby who you probably okay, I know no, dave yeah um, from fleetwood fleetwood yeah um but i did actually pip him in the match play around this place at wesley marriott did yeah um, and I won the individual, what was it called, Prospects Tour. Prospects Tour, Prospects yeah. Prospects Tour, um, and actually won that, and I set the record for the lowest average gross, I think, of 69.7. Wow. So, <coughs> so this, this As is an a, average. This is a very similar story to mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this no, one... That was gross, <laughs> not that. <laughs> touché, Rick touché. Won, you won the award for who tried the hardest, didn't you, Rick? <laughs> well, it was players' funny. player of the year. You know, I texted you yesterday and said, "Is there any trophies that James has won?" Because you've won Lytham Trophy, haven't yep. you? The big one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yesterday, I was cleaning out my garage. Out my garage, I've got um. Anyway, and I found some trophies. I had a, a lot of runner-ups. Yeah. I had a couple of wins. I had about six most improved trophies, <laughs> which that's just, good, is it? That's just most effort, basically. Yeah. I'll have to bring them in for next episode. So just on that then, James, you were obviously succeeding at this level, but yep. just maybe either of you, just in a, maybe a sentence, can you just sum up what Myersco Golf College actually is? Because a lot of people might not know. It, it's a it's a college that certainly offers um, different studies. So it's not you don't go there for maths or science or history or English. You go to be um, an equestrian or, or a vet or a greenkeeper or a golfer, a footballer, a rugby. So it's much more kind of a, a very holistic approach to. Um, it's almost it's almost like the first stage of like an apprenticeship almost. That's Certainly, if right. you're going to follow your career path rather than it being just. I don't know. I finished school. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'll do 
business tech or whatever it may yeah. be um so it was a kind of a pathway to potentially different routes in the in the industry so you study golf get a qualification but also play golf at the same time you, you get a national yeah. diploma in sports okay but that the the plug in there is golf right so a lot of the assignments are around golf so it's a sports science assignment but it'll be around golf or it's business assignment but it'll be around golf the same assignments would also be done by the footballers but with a football twist but there'll be footballers or the rugby guys but then people like doing the greenkeepers they may get a um, qualification in land landscaping but also has a plug into greenkeeping right ag- agricultural yeah kind of college really um so it, it was really diverse a lot of people there you know really went there to to follow their they already knew what they wanted to do as a mm-hmm. job potentially and it, it was a great mix like there was a pub on site called the stumble in you know people lived in did you live in yep i mean living in was just the best thing think 16 to 18 living away from home for five days a week i mean it was just literally the best i made so many friends friends it used to be a 20 minute taxi ride into preston yeah tokyo joe's tokyo joe's and squires yeah and La- uh, it's browns. called La- browns and what was the one that was like downstairs it was like dingy and dark i can't remember what it's called i might have been squires actually yeah and like yum yums yeah yeah um anyway so you were there for two years james yeah also it was only 30 minutes to go to blackpool and go to syndicate did you ever yeah. do that syndicate syndicate was the europe's biggest nightclub at the time revolving dance floor literally a revolving dance floor in the middle wow i was 16 yeah it was um, unbelievable are we, are we talking fake ids here by the way Love oh yeah no. what <laughs> so james looks old enough to be in school let me show you this very quickly right sorry when i was clearing out doing a clear out yesterday uh, i also found found my old last year picture at school of normal school. So I would have only been six months older than this when I went to college. Let's have a look. Oh, Christ. Wow. What do you think of that? Oh, wow. <laughs> we'll put, if you want to see that, we'll put it on the uh, on the actual YouTube video. But yeah, I've got two diamond earrings there, by the way. Christ. At school. No. Yeah, yeah. I went, <laughs> it, was, it was the fashion at the time. Tinted hair, tinted fringes. And think of that, six months later... Burberry, two earrings, walking around college thinking I was the I was I the feel boy. Like if I was at that college and I first saw you, I don't think I'd like you straight away. I don't think many people like me. <laughs> Even I had blonde hair at college. The footballers definitely <laughs> didn't like me. I didn't go with them very well. But anyway, it was just it was. We did digress. We can go down memory lane. But anyway, so eighteen. So in that time frame between sixteen and eighteen, obviously yep. you got your studies done. At eighteen, where did, what happened then? Um, well. This is not my school's fault, but I would say I didn't really progress from 16 to 18 just because I started drinking, got involved with Everything girls. We just talked about. Even though you were yeah. winning, though. Even though I did well, it I feel like compared to the other guys that were on the like junior Lancashire squad mm-hmm. at like 16 that I was like associated with at that time, um, they seemed to progress more 17 to 18. Right. Whilst I was at college, because some of those were straight out of school practicing just full-time golfing essentially yeah rather than i went to college finding about girls drinking having a good time i think the other thing as well to touch on that you were really good in your in the my school bubble yes and i think sometimes i I reckon i fell into that trap i thought i was really good at my local golf course bubble yeah and you get a bit you don't realize hold on there's there's so many people more out there Um, and I think now because of social media, you see that much more. Like we we co- um, did a video with Leo recently. Late, he's just turned eight year old, super superstar talent. 
but now you look on Instagram and there's so many of those yeah. young kids now who swing it unbelievable, who hit it up, like, and I was never, I didn't know that back in the day. No. I, you know, in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to make it out on tour, thinking uh, in reality, I was miles away, like miles away. Yeah, so did you find you kind of lost a bit of track in that two years? I would say so. I, I didn't really, even though I did well on like the Biosco tour and in the match play and things like that, I didn't massively improve handicap wise and that was the only thing we had to judge how good mm-hmm. you were at the time but the year i left um Myesco, i just joined southport and ainsdale so yeah. i just started basically practicing there a lot and playing more competitions and my level of golf seemed to like up because just like you said i joined southport and ainsdale and all of a sudden i wasn't the best golfer at the golf club and then i quickly became the best golfer but um, in the first year of being a member at uh, Southport and Ainsdale, which was 2006 year, I won seven of the majors at the golf club wow. in what? one year. And I think everyone was a bit annoyed that I'd and <laughs> joined. How, how old are you, like 18? <laughs> I was 18 at the time, yeah. And playing off what handicap, do you remember? I got to plus three okay. then. Wow. And so that was a proper golf club as well as the yeah. SNA. Yeah, but that year was a big one because I went from... It was either scratch, I think it was scratch handicapped plus three in that one year. Wow. It's, it's probably, again, looking back and when people talk about advice and stuff about when you're a, a junior, it's one of the things that I definitely look back and I wish I'd joined somewhere that like, I felt like that really pushed me. You know, like a proper championship golf course, like you're saying, with SNA there. Because it really does open your eyes to, whoa, actually, because typically championship golf courses will surround themselves with championship players typically exactly, yeah. and you can kind of pick yourself up against them really well I, I would say to any any advice to like youngsters that is the number one thing you've got to do go and join somewhere where you're not the biggest fish in the pond and every day you're playing with people that are better than you and you quickly learn like i learned how to play on a Lynx golf course rather than at gathers golf club all i've done is play partland mm-hmm. so um i learned a whole new skill set and playing with people that were better than me just really encouraged me to get better and before you knew it I was the best golfer there as well so so I'm just conscious with I'm loving this story I don't want to miss anything out so at this point you're 18 you've had a great year at SNA were you in Lancashire at this point or were you around the, so you're in the Lancashire squad yeah I was a Lancashire junior and then I went into the Lancashire full team okay so that's open men, age men's team right yeah, yeah. just explain that briefly to the American listeners let's say so junior finishes when you're 18 so then the Lancashire squad is a county Mm -hmm. so I was playing for the men's team and roughly there was maybe 12 in the squad um you don't hold me to that I can't remember but maybe with two reserves so there was 14 in the squad and we would play when we were representing Lancashire we'd play against other counties and we'd play foursomes in the morning and then singles in the afternoon um, and we used to travel around, well, certainly the northwest. And in that time frame, did you play with people who have now gone on to be well-known players? Like, I'm guessing Tommy Fleetwood would have Tommy been Tommy Fleetwood, yeah. yeah. Partnered up with Tommy many a time. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Senior, yeah. he was in the squad. Matt Nixon, another tour player. Um, and how did you feel like your game at that point against them was? Were you like with them, or did you ever feel like Tommy like stood out more than normal, or...? Tommy was always like a golden child. He was always very good for his age. And then obviously he was always 
like number one for Lancashire. He would certainly always be like their number one. Certainly when he was around eighteen ish anyway. Um Are you quite similar age to Tommy? I'm a little bit older than Tommy, so I think maybe eighteen months. Okay. Um and then yeah, we, like did did pretty well for Lancashire, had a good record. Um and then from there played a lot of Northern Order Merits, yeah. which were individual competitions rather than team competitions, two round events in one day. I did pretty well on that. Certainly won quite a few, like the Formby Hair, SNA Bowl. I think I won the Formby Hair twice. SNA Bowl. No, I didn't ever win the SNA Bowl. Lost to Tommy actually. Did you? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um Things like, things like this are like 36 holes yeah, in These a day. are proper events, aren't they, as well, yeah. to put into context. These are really good-level amateur events. Yeah, they were really good. Certainly in the, in the north, they were they were very, very good events. Did, did they get um, amateur world ranking points for these? Was that a thing then or not? Later, that happened. Right. But to be uh, an amateur world ranking, it had to be 72 holes. Oh, okay. So they used to blend um, to, like a couple of them together, the Formby Hair and the SNA Bowl. Um became a world ranking event because but I was nearly turning pro by the right. time this happened and, and kind of start talking about you know obviously you're off plus three you're 18 you're competing with like Tommy Fleet you're on the Lancashire team you're starting to win local events you're getting the real recognition and almost that validation that okay this could be the, the next stage what was the kind of tipping point to go okay I need to turn pro I need to now level up I need to you know earn some money from this properly because um, just very quickly on that, because at this point, you would have hardly heard, earned any money, right? No. At an amateur level. Oh, you, no. You couldn't get spons- sponsored. Basically, like, members of the golf club give you a couple of thousand pounds to help you out, but it was never enough to, like, fund the whole season. And, and so that's where you look back and, and you, you would you actively search for that member that sponsorship? Um, I suppose, luckily, at the time, I was in, um, certainly Gathurst member, uh, a guy called Colin Stevens. He's always helped me along the way, um, up, even up until I played the Open in 2018. Um, he's always like helped me as much as he could because he had a business that was growing, and every time it grew, he's kind of helped me out a bit more. Wow. And he really did support me over the years. But um, I had other sponsors, like a guy called Paul Marrow. He always helped me um, along uh, the way. So. And what did they get out of it? Was that a, sp- a patch on your clothing, or was that just... just- nice gesture just a nice gesture basically wow. and just wanted to be involved a little bit with like maybe paul used to come to a few events and just watch me basically and, right i mean wealthy people just helping out yeah, really yeah. generous of nice, them. isn't it yeah really nice so at the moment you, you you're kind of scraping by how how long has gone now when did you actually turn pro i turned pro when i was 21 so we're kind of missing england okay golf. i also just want to clarify when i say scraping by here i didn't mean like as in your golf i just mean like financially i guess it, it's a struggle in that in that time frame, yeah I, guess. I mean like were you working uh no i suppose as well though I, at this point you're still at home with your parents aren't you it's yeah. not like you can have loads of bills or maybe fuel in your car or something yeah like i, I install golf simulators for a member at sna through the winter um, but during the summer, I was never working. Just it was just golf, golf, golf every single day. Right. So then Lancashire, and then moving on to England. Moving on to England. So the reason I got selected to be on the England squad was probably through doing well in uh, the Brabazon Trophy. I did well at um, Forest of Arden. I can't remember where I finished, but it was a decent enough uh, result where they started walking around and watching me. Um, but 
the one that really did it was the semi-final of the English Amateur at uh, Royal St George's. I lost to Danny Willett in the semi-final. Wow. Which is pretty good. He was the boy back then, world what? number one at the time. World number one amateur? He was world number one amateur, and yeah. what score was the match? He beat me four and three. Was that 18 or 36? It was 18 holes. The final was 36, though. And did you feel at the time, obviously, he was world number one amateur and he beat you, but w- could you tell, was he streets ahead, or did you feel like, on oh, my day I could do him? How, how, how? What was it like? It was, it was a weird one, really, because... I'd played really solid all week and actually had Chris Rice, who you might know, caddying for oh, me. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, Ricey. Um I had him caddying for me and because he, he got knocked out and didn't get to, through to the match play, so he caddied for me and beat some big names along the way. But then came up against Dan and just can't, like don't know what happened, but it's just golf and just didn't play absolute A game and before you know it was four and three shaking hands and he went on to win it did he wow. yeah but again that's... you felt like you could have beat him on any any given day yeah i mean was there anything that he did that was different to you he was a bit more of an athlete i would i would say at the time he was certainly lifting heavy weights and not many lads were doing that around that kind of age um really i wouldn't strike danny willett as that, that surprised me he was he was always the boy that was working the hardest and i still think he is to this day he was wow. like first on the range last off the range lifting weights and i mean we were in a bubble of very good golfers and mm-hmm. on a good day I, I might have beaten him but yeah. it was just on the day i didn't play great and he beat me four and three at this kind of time frame, what did you were you standing out in any department over anyone else? Like, were you did you notice that you were much longer than any other players, or a better short game, or better putting? I was always very good off the tee. Okay, like that's always been my strength, and very good long iron player. So I would class that as as my strength. Yeah, and that's certainly probably why I did well round there because there's lots of like four fifty to four eighty five hundred yard par fours. So you'd be hitting like driver and a four iron, mm. a three iron. So probably one of the reasons why I did well that week as well. Also, uh, something I really want to dive into, like what was your what was your daily work routine like at this at this time frame? You've not turned professional yet. Yep. Describe a, briefly a, a normal kind of amateur day routine. So I wake up, have breakfast. It could be anything from cereal toast and then i'd jump in my car and i'd always have 35 40 minute drive to sna and that was where i did all my practice basically um i'd always get there i'd start it with two hours putting wow so i'd be doing basically holing out drills pace drills working on green reading things like that so i'd always do two hours generally pop into the clubhouse have a cup of tea Mm -hmm. and then down to the range and Generally, I always did like two hour like stints on each like aspect. So it'd be two hour short game and then two hours on the range. Uh, but between each two hour break, uh, well, sorry, each hour, two hour stint, I'd always have a break. Whether it's a cup of tea, a scone, or something like that, just to get away Sit from in the it pro shop for half an hour. Yeah, and, yeah. I've had a couple of chocolate bars off the account. <laughs> Standard. But um, yeah, it was. I was always. Yeah, two hours was like always like each skill, and then after that, I'd always finish the day with nine holes. Looking back at that, yep. Right now, the knowledge that you've learned and what we've learned about golf development, everything now, yep. Was it the right thing to do? And if it wasn't, what would you have changed? 
I think so because I developed at like a fairly quick rate. Um, I would put more time into putting more than anything if I could go back because I would say that was the re- one of the like my Achilles heel almost during playing season. Um, always a very good driver of the ball, but never did much driving of the ball at SNA because the range is only two twenty five long, uh-huh. so I never really hit driver. But it was always a strong part. That's interesting. Yeah. So, question then: a lot of people listening, and I understand why, would be in the car now or on a run or everything, and that's the dream, getting up every day. But my, was it? Did it get boring or did it get hard? I mean, it sounds well and good in the middle. Like today, day like today, we're sat in the UK. It's it's sunny. It's pretty warm outside. I'd we've, love to do that. We've not played golf for th- yeah. three months. I, but I, I couldn't think of anything better. Getting up on a Tuesday in February when it's cold or you know whatever it might be. Was that? Did you? Did it feel like a job? Was it hard to get out the door sometimes, or did you actually love it? I loved it. Really? It, it, obviously, it's harder when it's when it's cold weather and mm. wet. But absolutely loved it. Just made the most of it because I did a lot of practice with like. You know, well, you know Paul Howard, mm-hmm. don't you? Went to school with him. Uh, did a lot of practice with him, and we'd always share the journey. So we'd have a good crack on the way, and then we'd get there, and you get you get down to work, and then you make it competitive, like battling against each other. And I'd say that's a good way of improving as well, like having someone to try and beat every day. Like it's uh, a, a way to develop your skills, definitely. You're right with that, though, guy. I think you know if somebody said to me now. You've got to do it for a week. I could do it for a That'd week. That'd be great. I'd love it. Pyramid of fresh Pro V ones. Clubs all clean. Let's stick a podcast on every yeah. two hours and whatever. I think the uh, best thing in the world. But you probably didn't have that at the time. Like, did you listen to anything or when you no. practiced? No, I've never ever listened to music because you can't hear the sound of the strike. Yeah. True, but then I could do it for a week. But then tell me to do it for two weeks. Tell me to do it for a month. Tell me to do it for six months. Ten years. I couldn't, ten years. I couldn't do it. It's- I couldn't. And how long was this spell for, though? So obviously, how long was it that you were doing that kind of? Was that three years or four? Um, how long was this for? I'd say from leaving Myasco to pack it in when I was 2017. So that was your routine for best part of what you said, ten years or so. Yeah. Oh my oh word! My and obviously, goodness. events came up. Would you have yeah. rest days as well? You just wouldn't hit a golf ball, or would that net like? Maybe just after an event, so you'd finish on a Sunday and you'd have a Monday as a rest day, maybe. But but then you yeah. go to another event. Yeah, but and, if, and if you're back-to-back back events. And your routine would be the same, it'd just be a different venue. Yeah. So the one thing that you've not covered there, which I think if you if you were to give advice now to a to an 18-year-old, younger, aspirational James Robinson, yeah. would you change that model at all? Would you Would you add anything? Um, I would certainly change the way I practiced. I would make it, I'd, I'd, I'd split it up into sections, more technique and then performance pa- practice. So actually trying to break a per- personal record or something like that, where I was maybe a victim of just, so say, for instance, example, I've set up a mirror on putting and I've hold 400 puts. After that, it should be a test of that new skill that I've just learned mm. or practiced. So I should be doing holing out. I didn't do enough of that till maybe later years when I was a professional. But back then, if I do a bit more performance practice and create personal records, maybe that would have improved me Practicing even more. Practicing on the pressure, yeah. feeling like you're actually a tangible result yeah, rather definitely. than just doing the reps. Yeah, like repetition is good, but 
like it's like it's like on the driving range. If you were just stood there aiming at one target, hitting seven iron, seven iron, seven iron, you don't actually play golf like that. You yeah. hit a driver, and then your next shot is a nine iron, mm-hmm. and then your next shot might be a chip, and then it's a putt. If I could go back, I would change my practice more like that. I've got two questions. Go on. If you were to go back again or give advice, would you tell that young James Robinson to go to sunnier climates? Would you advise him to go to America for that time frame? During the winter? Definitely during the winter. I mean, I, I used to do that when I was maybe maybe the last year of being an amateur and then during like professional years. So that you could wrap it all the way around. Yeah, because... <laughs> if you don't do that there's somebody else that is, is. Mm. so you're not getting any better and the guy in spain or america is the analogy that if you don't practice on some on christmas day someone else is exactly the other thing i wanted to ask you've not mentioned much about kind of fitness working out one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Routines, which I feel like if if we were to ask now somebody who's aspirational and getting on tour right now, I think that would be a big part of it right now. Like, they'd say your routine, but even before breakfast and before getting up, there'd be an hour and a half workout routine in there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did I did used to go to the gym a lot, certainly more when I was an amateur than a professional because as an amateur, I was always, seemed to be at home a lot more where when you turn professional, you're always in a hotel and a lot of hotels don't have gyms and it kind of deteriorated when I turned professional. But as an amateur, I did a lot of gym stuff. Um, but if you don't do it, like we just said, somebody else will be. Yeah. But it you've got to be specific to yourself. Like only if it benefits you, do it. Mm. Because don't just do it because Joe Bloggs down the road's doing it. You have to do it to make you better. Yeah. Because you're 
you know, physically pretty like without really doing a great deal I'm like, you, you're pretty like athletic already yeah like, you've got a pretty athletic build and i suppose that's not for everybody you know no. a lot of people would need to get stronger or faster or improve the flexibility where i feel like if you moved into any level of sport your kind of athletic build would have probably carried you quite a long way potentially yeah definitely and just like we're saying like i mean look at people like jason duffner yeah like He's he's not athletically like good looking. Like his body doesn't look amazing, but it's functional, isn't yeah, yeah. it? It works. It creates a, a consistent golf swing. And of at course. the end of the day, we're trying to create a consistent strike, mm. ball flight, and repetition. And you have to do what's right for you. Don't yeah. just do it because you think you should do it. Like do it for better, not just for the sake of it. I, I feel this could be a three-hour podcast. No, to, to, right. So, in terms of amateur, have you got? I just want to kind of move into pro amateur now. Yeah, so, we're ready to turn. We've pro. got junior. Okay. You were good. Got better as a junior. Yeah. Amateur. You obviously started to get a lot better. Got to plus three. You were a really good golf course. Um, and then let's talk about turning pro and the trials, tribulations of that. Uh, well, the reason I turned pro um, was because at the time I managed management company that were interested in me um, tried to get me into a pro event basically just to see how good I was mm-hmm. and I got into a Euro pro event at Slaley Hall in 2010 and how old are you here so I just want to keep a track of the age so what will it be I'll be 22 so okay will I no 21 I was 21 at the time anyway because that's when I turned pro um, and he got me into the event I was really quite nervous because I was like speaking to people like Dave Corsby and a guy that was called Martin Edge at the time. And and we're speaking, and they almost made me quite nervous because at the time I was like plus four, just touched plus five at one point, but wow. plus four handicapper. And they're saying, like, these pros are so good. Like, your pro is a really good standard. And I'm thinking, God, I hope I'm good enough here. And I turned up as an amateur, started to sign paperwork to say that I can't take anything. <laughs> And went out, first round, shot six under. Nice. I was in second position. Second round, went out, shot seven under. I was leading by two. And then final round, playing with James Hepworth. Um, went out. I was really quite nervous, even though I wasn't playing for money, but I was nervous because I was thinking, God, I'm course, yeah. beat, beating all these boys here. <laughs> and... Um, I shot one over in the last round, but I still won by one. Wow! Th- th- three jab the last to win. And what no would you have, what would you have won cash wise if 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 you'd have obviously won as a pro? Ten thousand. Ten thousand pounds and, wow. and a free trolley. <laughs> and I didn't get anything. And just put this into perspective. Then this is you've got the European Tour Challenge Tour and then Euro Pro. Yeah. Kind of like the third level of, of of real pro golf in the UK. And you you beat all these pros in your beat first pro event. Yeah, I think there's 156 in the field. And wow. Yeah. Oh beat them all goodness. and this was your first event first pro event yeah wow but as an amateur and was that i can imagine this is either going to be the best thing ever that's given you this will and drive and belief that you can do it or did it almost make you then think this is too easy like how did you feel after that what, what i just was... felt like i'm good enough to turn pro now yeah um just kind of a bit gutted about the money yeah and still to this day james hepworth never made never bought me a drink oh christ and he's got did my he money take, he, took he, the he got my money four winnings yeah <laughs> You know him well. Yeah. But he's a Yorkshireman, isn't he? He's a <laughs> so you turn pro, um, and and then what then? Was the, I mean, at this point right now, and again, just trying to go back, like, are you, right now at 21, you've just beat 
field of professional golfers as yep. an amateur you turning pro did you turn pro straight after that yeah basically the week after so are you have you got ambitions at this point right now to be like world number one or is it just a bit like what what what's your mindset like at that point mm, and I, I knew it's like still a long way to even get on tour because i had to go to q school at this point and i, I was reading into like q school and there's three stages and there's so many rounds and so many people to like beat to get there so i wasn't really getting ahead of myself at this time i was just thinking like my next thing is first stage of q school and i did pretty well in that as well so i went to play dundonald links oh, yeah. great course yeah. um so it was my first ever paycheck actually i finished fourth at first stage of q school I think I won like 170 pounds or something like that, but it was my first ever check. Um, get and then of, get one of those like Happy Gilmore style checks for 170 <laughs> quid, one of those massive ones. Yeah. Um, and then went to Spain and played at Costa Bellina for second stage. And I took at the time uh, one of my friends from SNA, um, Kev Kev Riley. He was caddying for me and. Did really well at second stage, and I f- think I finished about 11th there, which was good enough because you have to be in the top 25% in the field to get to final stage. So then I finished 11th there and then went to PJ Catalonia and took Kev again with me. Um, and I made the cut to get to fi- in final stage, which is after four rounds, you have to be in the top 70. So I made the cut. And then I finished around 70th. I mean, I had a bad last couple of rounds, but basically four stage, four rounds at first stage, four rounds at second stage, four rounds, then you make a cut. Oh, my God. So you've beaten so thousands hard. and thousands of people. I finished 70th-ish. Don't hold me to that. It was, it was around 70th anyway. Um, and that got me a challenge tour card. Right. But it got me the worst category, category 14, I think they used to call it, on European tour. So I had a, a European tour card, but it wasn't good enough to get of getting it. a start would have yeah. been well, super I, rare. I got two starts oh, okay. off it, but um, it was basically a really good challenge tour card. And at this point, again, going back to like the funding, how are you funding all this? Like, When you turned pro, did you get a load of endorsement deals? Did you expect to get like massive, you know, suddenly Ping are signing you up and you're getting a clothing brand deal, you're getting orange and pink pants from Jay Lindenberg? <laughs> like, what, what was the financial side of it at that point? A uh, management company at the time gave me a credit card and said, this is going to help like fund you until you can pay it, pay it back, basically. Right. So... You have to book your flights, accommodation. Management company tended to take care of that, but flights, accommodation. But all of a sudden, from playing amateur stuff, and I'm spending £300, £400 a week, it now goes to professional world, and I'm spending £2,000, £3,000 a week. Wow. And And, and because of what was the biggest cost, is it travel? Travel. Accommodation. Caddy. Accommodation. I mean, people don't... Like really think about things like this, but you're paying a caddy eight nine hundred thousand pound a week sometimes, and they tend to not add that to the to the uh, the subtotal. God, because because that well that is it. You've got obviously caddy. Yep. Coach, are you still just paying on like a? a, a, a weird noise, no, sorry, I'm just looking. I'm just wondering whether this could be potentially a two parter. But anyway, carry on. With um, 
like coach he's still paying on like a, like Adrian is still per lesson basically per lesson yes. so because I know some coaches go on more like a retainer don't they at that level um you know things like accommodation and travel and things like that they just again you just got a the management bucket but you're paying for it basically through this credit card yeah yeah so it's it's going on a never never credit card until I can pay it back and, and were you ever worried about this point? Are you thinking, God, I'm spending a lot of money here. This feels more pressure now because I've just spent two grand to play in this event. Yeah. And now you're looking at the leaderboard and going, well, I've got to finish top 10. Yeah, well, I remember like the pressures of turn pro went to obviously first stage, second stage, final stage of qualifying. And before you know it, I owed amounts on this credit card because I'm not winning any money at these events. But the, the expenses are through the roof and... Then I think it was India, my first event on Challenge Tour. And I think I finished 14th in India. But all the time I was looking at how much I owed on the credit card and where I had to finish to pay this credit card off. Because it was the first time I've experienced money like it, really. And, and is this normal? Like, are other, when you're talking to other pros out on tour, are they is are they in similar similar kind of positions? Yeah, some are fortunate enough to have like a backup money, but at the time I didn't. And it certainly does eat away at you. Like it's always, it was always on the back of my mind. Like how much do I owe? Where do I need to finish? Oh no, I've missed another cut. And do you think that hampered your performance? A little bit, definitely. Um, it's hard not to let it eat away at you at times, but I never had that comfort blanket of like thirty thousand, forty thousand pound behind me just to say. I was just going to ask what what would have been like in your first year if somebody said to me, if if somebody said to you, right, I'm going to back you. Yeah. I'm going to write you a check. What do you want me to write? What's going to cover you for this year that you feel comfortable? Challenge tour, full year, 50,000. Wow. So I could write you a check for 50 grand. Yeah. I might never see that money again because you're not, you you might not make 50 grand. No. Because again, even if you made 50 grand, it's going to come straight back to me. Yeah. you'd think or you know some sort of yeah. agreement there yeah, yeah. you'd have to be making a hundred grand so you get 50 i get 50 i've made my money back don't forget the tax man the tax <laughs> man <laughs> yeah. see that's just a thing though like say if that was the case you were a hundred thousand pounds i mean you probably wouldn't keep your card i don't imagine with that would you uh, on, on challenge tour you'd oh, be right, doing well yeah so you do yeah. but then by the time you've paid your sponsor back and you said you've paid your tax man it's still not going to be a bad salary at all but it's not quite as glamorous as people would think no. when they see you getting off to spain going playing golf and that's your career you yeah, could earn that in an office if you get what I mean. It's it, oh, yeah. it's not as glamorous, Matt, possibly as it sounds, is it? The expenses are so high in golf, like being a professional golfer, that people don't often see that. Like they'll they'll see on the European Tour website, oh, you've you've earned twenty grand this week, but yeah, it's when you've paid local tax and then you've paid all your expenses caddy and then as well, your caddy, you're giving him a percentage. It really doesn't work out. And you have to pay local tax plus then tax when you get back home on your on your earnings as well. Withholding tax, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then other things like, did, did also a lot of these decisions then decide where you, where you stayed? Like, did you have to level down on your accommodation? Because you can't be spending a load of money on accommodation. Did you have to stay in some dives? Definitely. Some weeks, well, I wouldn't say dives, but... Didn't stay in the official hotels every week. Official hotels were generally the like costliest way to do it. But you'd stay two miles down the road for maybe half the price. Or you could get a house with eight of you in. And it would be much, much cheaper doing it that way. Yeah. So I definitely did that. Especially when I started to see credit card bills racking up. And you think, yeah, I want to try and lower this. 
so from this first year on the challenge tour then to actually getting your European was it 2016 you had a European tour card 2016 yeah. so was there much in between that or what was the journey like to getting that tour card and how did that feel and well my first so 2011 year was the challenge tour year I lost my card but still kept a challenge tour card um so I played a mixture of Euro Pro and Challenge Tour the year after that. And again, that would have been 2012. So 2013 did similar. 2014, I played a full season on Euro Pro and actually committed to just playing Euro Pro rather than trying to play two tours. Because playing two tours is really quite difficult mm-hmm. because you're trying to earn enough money on the order merit on both. Mm. But you always feel like you're losing out saying no to the tour above so if you're in euro pro situation and you're getting into a challenge tour event you were thinking well i might play well so yeah. i want to go and play that challenge tour event but 2014 was the year i said right okay i'm just going to play euro pro i'm not going to play anything else i'm just going to commit to this one get off it and that was the year when i finished fifth on the order of merit and i won a euro pro event at frilford heath and it just gave me the confidence to like then go back onto the challenge tour. So that's 2015. You then challenge tour. 2015. And I played challenge. Is that tour. how you got European tour card? Full 16, or was that again through qualifying? No. Uh, 2015, I played challenge tour full season, and I finished 36th on the order merit. Best finish was second at Plenar Falandre in France. Um, so I finished 36th on the order merit, which was good enough to then go straight to final stage of Q School at PJ Catalonia again. And then I finished 11th at Q School there. And so I made the cut after four rounds and played all six rounds at final stage. So I finished 11th and I think I've maybe got what you call a 13th card because it goes to like last round um, and then knocks you down a tier yeah. basically so i got the 13th card at q school so it's 2016 you're going to be what 27 ish 26 26 26 yeah. and it, you know you've finally got this european tour card that you've been working at since you were like 14 or whatever or 16 you really got into your golf yeah did this feel like I've made it now or did this feel like this is the start of the journey? What was the override? You know, how did your family perceive this, your friends, this SNA members, the Gathurst members? What was this? Was it a big, massive moment? Like oh, it, yeah. Yeah. How, how did that feel? I remember coming off the golf course and going in to eat some lunch and remember just not being able to eat because I just wanted to phone people and yeah. tell people. Was your, was your phone going on fire at this point? Yeah, it was on fire. And then I remember speaking to mum and dad and I actually had to walk off because I actually had a moment to myself, like crying on the 11th tee, uh, 10th tee at PJ Catalonia thinking, wow, I've actually done it. I'm, I'm here. And I'm, That's mad. I just, I honestly thought it was the start of many, many years yeah. doing it. What's, I mean, I really want to dive into this. What the, I just listened to the whole, whole bit. It's a lot of golf, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like a lot of golf and a lot of people to beat. But but in terms of just that event, but that's why I know it's taken us, what, best part of an hour to get here. I'm just talking even the story. Exactly, that's what I mean. We needed all, I think we needed all that build up and that's why I didn't want to rush through anything to get to this moment. Like you said, you've had that moment yourself where you've got tears in your eyes because it's not just you've been a decent golfer and you've got on tour. You've had those days at SNA, grinding, practicing, etc. All this has led up to this moment and you're probably thinking, right, like, overwhelmed probably pressure like you want to make everybody proud or your family are made up for you it must be a, a weird feeling it is like it's you do it for yourself but 
you're doing it for everyone around you as well mm. certainly with parents and sponsors and you just want to make everyone happy at the time and did you have like a girlfriend at the time did you yep. and like how did it all work like did you have to sacrifice like you talked about going out loads between 16 and 18 between 18 and 27 i bet like your social life had to kind of really disappear oh, yeah. you had to be quite selfish i guess very yeah like, did you did you miss life events did you miss weddings christenings births definitely every all of those yeah wow. you, you couldn't attend most things because most things happened during the summer at a weekend like yeah, yeah. at a weekend and you were never there you're always in another country Wow. So you've now, you, let's say, you get home that Monday, whatever it might be. Yep. What ha- you know, a ping on the phone, a sponsor. What 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 happens then? What's the next step? Um, still, still to this day, probably one of the biggest regrets was I was a ping player at the time. Mm-hmm. Been with them for like eight years. Loved the equipment. Just come off the back of a really good year on Challenge Tour. Felt like my career was uptrending, and yeah, you get offered contracts off companies and actually switched to tailor-made which no offense to tailor-made great brand good products but it's just the stupidest thing i could have done really really trending off a really good year and straight away went on to european tour using equipment that i was trying to get used to like change of driver change of irons just learning new equipment putter everything changed like all 14 clubs changed in my bag and before you know it, I'm just trying to get used to these new clubs, playing in places like South Africa, where you're already playing at altitude. Mm. And it took me quite a while to adapt and find some equipment that worked. And was wow. that obviously for the finance? They would have given you an offer to take it that you thought was too good to turn down at the yeah. time. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely for money. Like, I'm not I, gonna lie. I know. In hindsight, I know it's hard to see. It's like, would you have turned if you knew obviously what it would have done? Would you have just turned that money down and said no? Yeah, I would have just stuck with the original things. Like one thing I have learned from my mistakes is whether it's a ten-year-old golf club. If you hit it well, don't change it unless something is actually better. Yeah. Um, but I suppose when a big fat check arrives and you're thinking, well, hold on, this secures me to some level. Well, yeah, that's the key. What you see, it's not just like. You know, when these tour pros sign massive deals, they don't even need the money anymore. Like when Justin Rose went to Holland, me think, what are you doing, yeah. really? But for you, like you said, this is that check, whatever, you know, wherever it was, is, is now going to be, you know, that little bit more comforting knowing you can afford to pay for hotels or your caddy or, you know, I don't blame you for one second for wanting to switch. No, like, but when you're at that level and not so much on Challenge Tour, but certainly when you're at European level, European tour level, um, the money that you get offered with a good week you could win that money in a week right yeah. you know what i mean right, yeah looking back now i just wish i just had a go with the equipment i was already mm. using rather than just trying to shop around for the biggest check and, and would you have said that was solely in your control like did you make that decision or were you influenced by other people as well i mean you were you were getting offers and at the time it sounded like a, a lot of money but looking back you think but as in to switch yep. like did management have any control over that did your family your friends your sponsors yeah or was it absolutely down to you it was, it was my decision at the end of the day yeah like, i could have easily said no i'm just thinking obviously when the deals come in and management are thinking well hold on you've got a credit card to pay off and you know they might be going you need to take this deal because we need we need some money in we the need bank some now money. They, do, they do sway it a little bit but at the end of the day you could still say no i can still say yeah, no yeah, to anything course. So that year, how many events did you play on the European tour? Good question. I feel like it was around 
23. Okay. And, and what which, was different? What 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 was different between the European Europe Pro Tour Challenge Tour and then European Tour? Um not a lot between Challenge and European Tour. I, I would say the expenses certainly went through the roof because instead of spending a couple of thousand a week, you are now spending three, three and a half thousand a week. And why? Because you have to pay your caddy more. Um, you are certainly travelling to nicer hotels, like staying on site. It's like the, the expenses just went through the roof all of wow. a sudden. And, and were the venues better? Is that... They were better, yeah, definitely, yeah. And, and as a pro, it's something I always really... Are you bothered about the, the, the venue, like the actual quality of the golf course? Or what, what really gets you excited about an event? Is it the quality of the golf course, the quality of players you're going to play against, or the money? I'd say the money and the condition of the course. So it's just condition? Yeah. Like, like it, do, it doesn't need to have prestige, unless it's obviously somewhere like Augusta or somewhere. I mean, it's more special on those courses, but if the condition of the course is good... It gives it like a level playing field. Yeah. So you've got a good chance then. So just a couple of questions then. We've A lot of these questions that people ask. So we put a quick start again. We put a thing on the Facebook group about you were coming on and people yeah. that have, have questions for you. And there's loads of response, which is really good. A lot of the questions I think we will have already covered and we will go on to cover. But a couple I just thought I just kind of felt like a good time now just to ask this one from Tom, Tom Skilling. He said, what was the hardest thing about being a pro that nobody would ever think of? That's a great question. I would say... Probably the being away from people, right. like your loved ones, the sacrifices you've got to make. Certainly when when you're in the, the situation where I was, where you, you're not wealthy enough to take your girlfriend with you mm-hmm. or your parents with you. It's it's that being away from home, being away from your loved ones, that's probably the hardest. And You, you have a lot of downtime in golf, like after the, after the round. You, you certainly spend a lot of time in hotels. And when the times are good... Everybody wants to speak to you. Yeah. But when the times are bad, you've, you haven't got a friend in the world. Wow. It's a lonely place when it's going bad. Wow. It's funny, you know, I mean, I've not spent much time out on the tour. For work. I've done a few things for, for work, for my old job and with Rick or whatever, but it kind of feels like, and I might be wrong in saying this, but there's almost just two sides. There's like the guys like who are your Rory's, et cetera, your Henrik Stenson's or multimillionaires who stay in the five-star hotels, the Private family, the jets. nanny, et cetera. Yeah. Or it's guys like you were who were almost struggling. It feels like there's almost not an in-between. It's kind of like you're living a life of luxury or it's actually pretty damn boring and lonely. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I, like made the decision to to stop playing golf I kind of worked out in my head like what would I actually be happy with and how much do I need to make per year to have the life I want yeah and it came down to like half a million euros a year to make it worthwhile for me because with that amount after you've obviously paid expenses tax everything I would be able to afford to take my wife with me yeah like with that money but only just like it sounds a lot of money, five hundred thousand, but that's just enough to be able to have a life of a little bit of luxury. Wow! Because, like you said, it does. You think straight away, five hundred grand in the bank, but it's not. Is it? like you said, it's your taxes at both ends, and it's Ge- all these different things. Generally, it works out about one third of what you see at the end of the year. Right. So, if if someone's earned three million, it, it might just be over, just over a million. Wow! So, twenty sixteen season, you lost your card. I'm right in saying. Yep. And then, um, I know we kind of brushed over that lightly, but I kind of want to really come on to the Open as well, because I feel like that's, that's, for me, what arguably the most exciting story of this. What happened in 2017 then? Is that when you decided to start coaching? 2017, I started 
the season and I was playing a bit of Challenge Tour, but Euro Pro. And the season was up and down, didn't really fire on all cylinders. And by the time the season ended or came to an end, I, I was in a situation where I was in a good enough position on the order of merit on Euro Pro to play the grand final. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, I was driving to SNA from where where I live now in Lytham to I was going through Preston and I was driving to go and practice for um Q school. Yeah. And I remember driving and I was in a bad place at the time, like mentally, because I was on European tour, then I lost my card because I felt like I only had half a shot really with the card I had mm. at actually maintaining a, a tour card because what you got to remember is it's a, a European tour card, but the money that you're playing for is so small compared to what the likes of the Rory's are playing for. and people The Rolex like that. series and stuff like that, it's different. If isn't you're it? not getting into those big money events and making the cut, it's really, really hard because you're only playing for like a quarter of the money of what a normal European mm. tour event would be. So it might be a European tour card, but... There's levels to it, isn't there, I guess? Yeah, again, there's tiers. And I was in the lowest tier, like playing for the smallest money. And I wasn't getting into every event. So I had to try and fill some weeks in playing Challenge Tour. So even though you're on European Tour, you're still Mm. going back to your roots of playing Challenge Tour. So you're in a situation where you don't really feel like you can get off because you're not giving yourself the most chance. And just a question, and this might sound really random, but then say if you, within that year, met somebody who played golf and they said you were a tour pro and they were like oh my word did you kind of feel ever like obviously you should feel really proud of that but did you ever feel like you didn't feel like a, a full tour pro you didn't have that full card definitely like it's how people see things that like, i would class that as yes it was a european tour card but it was never like a proper full european mm. tour card well even though it was a full one um it wasn't enough to play like a, a 35 events. You weren't going to the BMW go- PJ, for example. No, I, w- I wasn't going to places like Dubai and Qatar, yeah. places like that. I was. Do, just- do you almost feel like there should be like a gold European <laughs> tour card, a silver one and a bronze one? That would and help. you'd have been in bronze yep. at that level. That would, that would be a good way to, to like... Because it's almost like, say, it's just one European tour card and that's it. And you actually get a card, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And a clip, yep. a belt clip. Yep. Is that it? Any other bits? You get a, a sticker box. for your car? No, you get like a, a, a nice box. What's in the box? Well, your clip and, oh, right, and okay. your card. Have you still got that, obviously? Oh, yeah. So, like, when, when you get that, like, say, you think, brilliant, I've made it, a European tour, but, like, say, it, it has got levels. Do, Just, do, you think it's, do you think it's, like, fair? And that sounds like a daft question, but do you think it's, it's correctly structured? I think Q School um, is a difficult place to gain a card and then maintain a card and keep a card. You don't really have a full chance at doing it. Like, just look at how many people get the tour card at Q School and then lose it. Unfortunately, the rules have changed since I've lost my card, but you can't fall from European tour card, uh, European tour all the way to EuroPro anymore. You you stop at Challenge Tour. There's a safety net. There's a safety net now. Um, and that would have massively benefited me. And I might have still been playing because if that was in place wow. then. But at the time, I just fell from the top 
all the way to the Euro Pro, which I was I would class as at the bottom. Well, just take about that drive because that's part of an important part Sorry, of the story. Yeah. You yeah. told me this before, I think, off air. I've told you earlier on. Well, another time. But so you're in the car, you're feeling a bit of down, etc. And what, yeah. what happened uh, there? Basically, I'm driving to prepare for Q School. Yeah, and I remember getting to Preston, Preston Docks, and I was just in a bad place, thinking I, I don't really know why I'm driving here anymore. Like, I just I've had enough. But I just don't want to talk to the loved ones in my and sponsors in in my in my life at the time. I just wanted to make a decision and just get out. And I'd started researching like doing PGA and things like that. And I've always been fairly good at like teaching the game to people and analysing technique and stuff like that. So I was going round this roundabout, and I just remember going round the whole roundabout in in Preston Docks, and I just started driving home. And I just thought, I don't even know where I'm going. I don't want to do this anymore. And I drove home. I pulled out of Q School. I pulled out of um, all the like last events of the year. And I applied for my PGA. Was that on the same day or like just kind of days after? Take a bit of time to get... No, I literally sat down for hours and did it all. And then my wife came home and she was like, oh, why are you not at golf? Well, wife not at the time, but... Um, and she was, I was like, packed in. That's it. It's done. And were you like, were you emotional at that? Obviously, yeah. you're smiling now and saying that, but obviously that must have been a really tough decision. It was. It was. It was hard because when you're in that bubble of playing, like all my friends are golfers and tour players, and when you're in that bubble, it, you're all trying to do the same thing. And for me, I just had a moment of madness, and I just said, I "Don't want to do this anymore." Wow. It's not making me happy. But it, it sounds like it came on all of a sudden there. But It's been a build-up, I guess, hasn't it? Been, yeah, like like we were speaking about before, it's 10, 11 years of the same thing every day, repetition, good years, bad years, good results, bad results, like everybody being your best friend, everyone backing you, then six months later, everyone, no one's talking to you because you're playing bad and... Just those emotions just got the better of me in the end, and I just said I don't want to do this anymore. And did you? Sorry, did you see that? Did you see friends come and go, like almost cling on as cling cling on as is that the right clingers word? on clingers on like that would cling on to you because I don't you know. Yeah, you do get that, but like your, your true friends, sponsors, like they always talk to you basically. But even they get disappointed, unfortunately, and the people that have helped you along the way. Certainly, my mum and dad, like. They just let it emotionally attack them. Yeah. With with that decision, then when you kind of obviously the roundabout and you turn around, you come back. Obviously, there's lots of factors that go into it. But overriding, was it a case of I don't think I'm good enough to do this, or was it a case of I think I am good enough, but to get to that point, it's gonna be so much more many years of this again and the grind. I just don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, the situation I was in was I was basically a Euro Pro player again, and I just thought to get to that 500,000 a year, every year, Yeah, I have to go through probably another 12 months on Euro Pro, graduate to Challenge Tour, finish, to finish in the top five on the Order of Merit. Then once I'm on Challenge Tour, I have to now finish top 15 on that Order of Merit, so that's another year. Then with it, that was the only way I felt like I had a good enough chance to earn 500,000 mm-hmm. by having a Challenge Tour European Tour card. 
So basically being a Challenge Tour graduate, you get a better tour card than you would if you were a Q School graduate. Yeah. Like we were saying, you you ranked it as like bronze. That was a good way to, accurate way to do it. That put you in silver. Silver. And then you'd have a good chance of doing that. But that's a year on EuroPro, a year on Challenge Tour, and then you've got a year on European Tour. But that was perfect. You know what I mean? Top Without five on EuroPro. No hiccups. Yeah. Because I felt like if even if I got the Euro uh, the Q School category on Europe uh, European Tour again, I still felt like that's not a good enough card to actually graduate and stay there. Like the amount of people that get that card and lose it because it's not strong. It doesn't get you into enough events. Does if again just going back to yeah. hyper, if the if the somebody must qualify from that. The, the, sorry, going back to this idea of gold, silver, bronze, that yeah. bronze European tour card, do people advance from there or is it literally impossible? It's it's not impossible, but 25 graduate and I'm sure it was like a three that maintain the card. Yeah, it's, so it's very, very small. Well, we, we did a video, didn't we? We went to Illuminae, Illuminae, whatever it's called, in Spain, yeah. the final qualifying, and we did some interviews, or Rick did some interviews with a lot of the players. I remember Jeff Winther was one. Jeff Winther, Scott uh, Gregory, yeah. uh, Dan Gavins. Um, and we kept an eye on them, didn't we, throughout the season? And I don't think any of them... Jeff really... Winther's, I think, done okay. Oh, right. Yeah. But so many of them just dropped back out again. Yeah, well, I'm sure it was three, on average, that maintained the card from that category, um, which is such a small percentage. Don't forget, like, at the start of Q School, there's... say there's 2,000 that enter... Actually Eight, three, yeah, 18 months mad. down the line there's three people that are keeping that Hi, this, is I mean? a, this is a silly question a hypothetical one let's say t- start of 2017 I know you decided not to, to bother now but yeah. let's just say you got given the gold card the top European yep. every invite for every event that year hand on heart their ability wise do you think you would have, have, have been able to keep that and you would have actually succeeded do you think you had the ability to do so yeah definitely I just felt like ability was never really an issue I felt mentally there was a lot of things that I wasn't happy with. Like I, I always, I always like kept on thinking about the money and thinking, like, how much have I got to play this event? Like a bad month on tour, and you could spend fifteen thousand pound. Yeah. And before you know it, you think, God, that's my whole savings gone. Like, what am I going to do for the next week? And I never actually concentrated on just golf. I was concentrating on too much off the course yeah. instead of just playing golf. Like ability to play golf, I, I, was no, no issues. I doubt this because from the kind of lad you are. But did you ever look at players who were doing quite well on tour that you were better than and almost resent them and think, I know that I can beat Tommy on a good day or Danny Willett's only a bit better than me, or whatever? And look at what they're doing. Did that ever cross your mind or or not? Yeah, and when you're growing up, it was it was always the conversation at the golf club. Like if if I, me and Tommy were in the same event. Like, oh, you missed the cut. But you see what how Tommy did? And it was always like comparison. Yeah. And it was never never really got to me. It became a bit of a joke with the lads at the golf club. You'd say, oh, like, <laughs> watch him. He's going to come over and say, oh, I was watching you last week. Lucky there. You missed the cut, didn't you? Yeah, thanks for that. Cheers. Okay, just, about, just what you want. Just about to carry on putting it here. <sighs> and half the time I had earpieces in and they weren't even turned on uh, the, um, also just going back to this so you, you lost the European tour card and, you, and how old are you at that point 28 or 27 um, or young 27 
how much of it has also played on your mind that you'd have probably had friends yep. that you were seeing maybe getting successful jobs and getting nice cars and potentially getting married at that time yep. and having children how much did that also play on your mind as a 27 year old man with a with a girlfriend kind of where does that all fit into your life for massive part like obviously golf was getting me down at the time because i was going through a bad spell but I had good support at home. Well, my girlfriend at the time, Livy, who's now my wife. Um, we were in a situation where we bought a house, but it was obviously mainly her money that bought the house. And then I was feeling a bit like incapable of yeah. paying the bills, yeah, basically, because yeah. I was playing Euro Pro. And I mean, you can't really play Euro Pro and own a house and it's crazy that, children it? and stuff like that because i bet if you said that to a lot of people just like if you said to a lot of people probably listening you're a challenged tour player yeah i wonder what the perception is like mm. i would like i reckon if if draw me a challenged tour player yeah show me what house they live in show me what car they drive show me how much they've got in the bank yeah i think would be very different to reality very different um, where again you go back to this idea of European tour player show me the car the house the the bank balance but again that is so small of amount of players who probably with the Ferrari the mansion and 10 million in the bank exactly it's probably only, five it's players it's only a few so you know I mean, I mean when I was 27 I got married I'd, I'd have my first child and I remember looking at that time and, and I know quite a lot of professionals in similar boats to you who are out on tour who would be in my opinion a long way in their life um goals let's say a long way away from that because they've not got married just yet and they've not had children and things like that like and i was thought i wonder what they think about that i wonder and you're just kind of expressing that as well now well, yeah like like i was saying that if if you take me back to that 27 year old that had to then go to euro pro go to challenge tour go to european tour like that was over three years that would be the perfect scenario. You'd still struggle to buy a house doing that. Yeah. So I, was, I, was, I just felt like I couldn't contribute and I wanted children. And at that time, it was just like a weird time in my life. And I was just thinking, if I don't do it now, I could be 35 before I'm having a child and yeah. buying a house. Yeah. Here, you know what I mean? And that does play on your mind. So then how did then then you've started you've done the forms let's do your pga how did you start coaching what let's let's talk about that part of the kind of chapter now then i, I think just very quickly as well i think we definitely hold the open for a part two well let's just let's do it all now it right up. Like, no let's just roll it all out and we'll chop it in the edit okay okay no yeah we don't do that or not i was thinking it'd be nice we can almost just break it and go Right, let's talk open, second podcast, extra one that comes out thursday yeah no i'm thinking that but we may as well just carry on rolling now and just chop it when we need to um so yeah, so PGA. So PGA, yeah. Um, I grew up in a place called Billinge, which is really close to Rainford. Yeah. And uh, Dave Clark, who I've always been friendly with because he was the pro at uh, Gathers Golf Club. So I've grown up knowing Dave. I actually did my work experience when I was about 14, 15 for him. Um, I had a good chat with him and went to see Dave and Chris at Clark's Golf and sat down and said, I don't want to play anymore. Like, I think they were a bit shocked, but I said, I just want to do my PGA. I want to be a golf coach. I know I'm going to be good at it because I've done sponsors events before where like GPW, a company that used to sponsor me years ago, we used to get like 20 people to the driving range, actually at Clark's, and I used to teach them all day. 
and that was like part of the sponsorship deal. And I really enjoyed it. I felt like I always had a good eye for technique and massively tinkered with technique over the years. So became very knowledgeable over it. And I just thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be a golf coach. And I knew that doing PJ, obviously, I had to work in the shop and things like that. So it was a cave case of like, wow, this is a bit of a different life driving an hour to go and work in the shop for minimum wage. But I just knew that that was my apprenticeship and I needed to do that to become a coach, which wow. I'm fully qualified now, which is good. So, And then how, you know, you've said that it felt different. How did that, because I remember coming to the shop quite a few times when you were working and stuff. Yeah. And obviously, weirdly, I don't know if you remember this, you sold me an electric trolley about the week before open qualifying. I I came in and bought an electric trolley. Yes, I do you. remember that. Actually, um, yeah. But did how did not not I'm trying to word this in a way that I hope it doesn't offend you? But did, did that did you feel like when you see someone like me who you knew I knew you were on the tour and then doing that? How did that did you feel like strange about that? Did you feel not embarrassed or did it, were you not bothered? I mean, you knew you knew it was a new journey, but how did that feel? I felt like I'd, I'd come crashing down, really, basically. Um, but I wasn't embarrassed, but. I just felt like people, certainly like you coming in, you'd be thinking, what? He's, he's mm. working in the golf shop. Like He used to be on tour and things like that. Did, did, and this, uh, I, I want to, did you ever, did you feel like you'd failed as a tour pro? Definitely, yeah. Which must have been really challenging to, you know, overcome, like you say. Oh, yeah. But it was making me so unhappy yeah. at the end that I knew this was the way. Yeah. Like, it I knew to make myself happy again inside. This was the only way. And did you ever think about moving into coaching? Was was that ever a backup plan anyway? Like even when you're out on European tour or whatever it was, did you ever think if it doesn't quite go right, I could see myself falling into coaching? Or uh, did you make the decision once you'd pulled out of everything? I kind of made a, once I had a clear mind, I made the decision of being wanted to be a coach, but when I was in that bubble playing on to, on the tours over the years, I always used to think, like, what if this doesn't work? If it doesn't, like, what would I do? And there was always that worry in the back of my head. So I think a lot of ex-pros or pros who, and I'll use this word lightly again, failed on, out on tour, they sometimes slip into coaching. I don't know. Sometimes I, always, I sometimes feel like for the wrong reasons, potentially, because they think, well, I'm a golfer. I should be able to coach. I'll just kind of shift into that, and potentially they don't really put the heart and soul into it because it's not—it's not really what they want wanted to do. Yeah, there are people like that definitely. Um, I would say coaching to me was fairly easy because I understood the golf swing so much and always studied like technique, technique in like all the best golfers. So I felt personally it was a, an easy transition because I'd certainly already practiced it when I was doing like these golf days and like hosting them but there, there certainly are people like, like you just mentioned just there. just touching on just the set there i just want to talk about that what you said about like you know how it feels and does it feel like you fail but just want to you know not that what i think is probably any value to you really but for, for me looking at you I, I you know obviously i remember the first time i went into the shop and you were there and it's oh james working the shop now but for me i don't see it that you, you've you've failed i see it that a lot of people i've known have been good good golfers have never even close to a european tour card of any of gold, bronze, or silver, whatever you call it, you have, and that's something yeah. that certainly for your coaching portfolio and your brand, or whatever going forward, no one can ever take that away from you. You know, you've played in the open, you've had a tour card. That is, you know, it's far from a failure. That you you've lived 
a dream of so many of, of every young junior you know you've done it and that's mm-hmm. something that i think you should be really proud of and you know you might know golfers who've gone on to do more or tommy's etc but you've done more than what me and rick and most other people can ever dream of so you, you know that's something to be really proud of yeah appreciate that but when you're in the bubble of other successful people around you and you're the guy that doesn't quite do it mm. like you can only compare it to you like you, your peers basically yeah. and when you see everyone else succeeding you kind of don't even notice the people that aren't succeeding you just focus so hard on the people that are doing well and you That's just think why, why am i not doing that you don't think about the two thousand people you beat in q school no you think about the 10 people that beat you on the european tour or whatever it yeah. may be rick i really say this don't say this enough but you've had a really good shout i think we should pause this one now to have a two minute break and let's do a part two for thursday about how james got into the open yeah that's a really good story i feel like that really sits as like a an amazing because I, I honestly feel like we could really dive into that really detailed yeah um James, you've been amazing so far with your time obviously you. we're going to jump into a part two if anyone wants to see you for coaching check him out have you got a website uh well it's on living golf academy that's how you book so book through living golf academy my old bay all the signatures have been painted over on the walls <laughs> um just another quick one just before we do on to this part two did you need to do your pga to be a coach no but um i felt like it was the right thing to do even though i had to like obviously start my apprenticeship in the shop but i just felt it was the benchmark that everyone recognizes and I probably could have done it without. At least you didn't have to do your playing ability test. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we'll come on to that. That's, that's, a good, uh, that's a good one for the Open. We'll, we'll talk about that oh, in really? the next one. Okay, sounds good. Um, right, we'll see you in part two. Uh, check out on Thursday. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, make sure you hit like, leave a review. Uh, hit like, there's no like button on the Should podcast. Leave five-star review on Apple. Live five, leave five-star. Check out James's social platforms. I'll put them down below. It's been a fascinating story so far. And... I still think potentially the best story is yet to come. So check that out on Thursday. We'll see you soon. Thank you. See you later. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.